two friends, Alan Dale and Jerry Carew, who grew up just a few streets apart in St. John's East End, have been separated by Canon's geography for three decades. They came together virtually during the pandemic to chat about like-minded interests. Alan lives in PEI and Jerry in Newfoundland. Thriving in remoteness has been a common theme for both of them during the pandemic. Gale Force wins. The podcast is the result. And welcome to Gale Force Winds. I'm Alan Dale, and with me, as always, is my good buddy from St. John's, Newfoundland, Jerry Carew. How are you, Jerry? Well, you know, I'm always doing well when I'm seeing you and we have another guest. Um, I will uh, refer to the weather because it's something that Newfoundlanders do. We are recording this episode right after the Victoria Day weekend. Friday in Newfoundland was 25 degrees, Saturday was 22, Sunday was 13, and Monday was two degrees in snow. So I was out on the water on my sea on Saturday and tuning up the snowblower on uh, Monday. But anyway, that's just a little weather update from Newfoundland. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. The, uh, the weather's always a little bit complicated in Newfoundland for sure. <laughs> well, every month uh, we feature a sailor from the Royal Canadian Navy and what a, an honor and privilege that is for uh, Jerry and I on Gale Force Winds to be tasked with that. And uh, uh, this week uh, is no exception. We're very excited to have Master Sailor Stephanie McAndrew join us. Master Sailor Stephanie McAndrew happens to be the Naval Reserve Master Sailor, uh, which is uh, quite an honor indeed. So uh, Stephanie, without further ado, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Hi, right, thank you so much. Uh, so I'm Master Sailor Stephanie McAndrew, and I'm joining you here from HMCS Star in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, I'm between contracts right now. And uh, in the back, which I think we'll see later, is HMCS Haida, which is our uh, our fleet's flagship. Yeah. So Stephanie, uh, you're, down, you're based out of Hamilton, Ontario. Is that correct? Yes. Right. And what's a naval significance to that part of the world? Um, well, we do have a, a long and fantastic history because we are right on the lake. Uh, so we have uh, the, the NRD is, of course, named after a ship. And uh, we have the Haida right next to us. And whenever there's a Great Lakes tour, uh, they usually come and make a stop here. Uh, and we have so many volunteers from around the, the area. There's lots of plaques, there's lots of monuments, there's lots of books um, from people in Hamilton and around the area who have supported the military over the years. Stephanie, you used to have that great thing uh, down uh, in Star. I don't know if they still have that anymore, but it used to be a McGinty night where they used to reinvent the lower deck pub in Halifax. Do they still do that down there? I don't know that we do anymore. Um, we, we do have lots of other events, uh, depending on who the entertainment rep is. They're usually right. a lot of fun. We've got game nights, um, bring your friend to work night. We've got uh, in the summertime, the, the hell in the harbor is a lot of fun. It's like an obstacle race, but also um, it's a, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? One of those races where you're you're trying a scavenger hunt. So it's okay, an obstacle yeah. race and a Brilliant. scavenger hunt yeah. all together. Um, we've got Doors Open Hamilton a lot, which we feature our NRD as well. So it's it's right? pretty fantastic to be a part of the the, the community. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. The, the Canadian Navy, well, like, people come from all every nook and cranny of the country, don't they? Hundred <laughs> percent. And these NRDs are fantastic. They're the face of the Navy in parts of Canada that uh, you wouldn't expect. And I can tell you that that unit down there is representing our Navy very well. Stephanie, tell us about when you joined the Navy. Uh, so I joined in 2010 and I was so very excited because at the time I was in teacher's college and I knew ever since I was uh, a little girl that I wanted to be a part of Canada's military. Uh, I love the country, always wanted to give back, always wanted to participate. And a lot of the challenges just really spoke to me. I mean, who gets up at 5 a.m. with 50 of your best friends to go on a run? That just doesn't happen in real life. Um, but uh, I was absolutely born to be a teacher and I, I couldn't give up that dream. But while I was in uh, teacher's college, I heard about the reserves and I realized I really could do both. So during the year, I could come into my NRD a couple of times uh, a week. And in the summertime, when I wasn't teaching, I would be able to go away on contracts. And uh, it's been 11 years and I'm so, so happy that I heard about it because it is just 
made my life so much better. So you started uh, as a reservist while you were in Teachers College. Where was Teachers College? Uh, it was in Brantford. I went to Laurier and Nipissing. They both had satellite campuses there to come together uh, so that you could go to both and do concurrent education. So you were in school during the uh, winter and then you would in the summer head off to do your training. Yeah, I did. Yes. So where was your first uh, training episode? Where was that? Uh, my very first training was basic training and it was in Borden, Ontario. Right. So you joined the Navy to see the world and you got up as far as Borden. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the people really made the place uh yeah. the instructors were fantastic uh the the other recruits were amazing there were quite a few from from hamilton which there always are because we have quite a large unit uh yeah. so that was really great uh there are still people from my basic training who are in with me and we get to run into each other all the time uh which is fantastic um but the summer after that i went away to do netp and that was on the east coast and it was fabulous and i got a taste of some of that travel and some of that seamanship right what what is netp for those not in the military uh, don't know what is that Oh, apologies. There are so many acronyms. I, I, I don't even realize what I dropped them anymore. Uh, it's the Naval Environmental Training Program. So your basic training, there are a lot of Army skills. Uh, and then you need to do your Naval Environmental Training Program, which will train you how to be on a boat. So before you learn uh, your trade, which in my case is Naval Communicator, uh, you need to learn how to put out the fires, put out the floods, uh, work on a ship, what the different spaces are, how to use the equipment and things like that, uh, which really always drew me to the Navy. Because I think it's very interesting that when you're in the middle of the ocean, you can't call the fire department, you can't call the bomb department that it's you. So we get all of this extra training in so many different areas that would normally be other careers. So we, we really get a taste of everything. Yeah, that's very cool. Eh? I, I remember fire school as being and flood school, a lot of yeah. fun, a lot of excitement until the water starts creeping up past your knees. <laughs> and it's not, it's quite cold. Yeah. It is. And uh, in Halifax, they pump it in from the local lake. Uh, that's that's just down the way. So it's uh, it's it's always fun. You really get moving when that water starts to hit. Right. I, I did my flood training in uh, British Columbia. I think it's just as cold out there. But I remember, <laughs> Alan, when they test you, they can really increase the flow. And you're right, as it's rising up to your, you know, your neck, it's pretty intense, isn't it? Yeah, no, yes. 100%, right? And then, But what I do remember about fire and flood school was uh, the meals at lunchtime. You're kind of, you're exhausted from fighting a fire or, or fighting a flood. And then you all kind of sit together and uh, you're covered in, you know, you're wet or you're smoky or whatever, and you're, you're all eating together. There's a real sense of camaraderie about it, isn't there? There, there really is. And that was another reason I always wanted to join the military, that amazing sense of community, your family away from home, uh, the bonding, living, working together, getting to try out all these different uh, facets of work and life is really amazing. Yeah. So you uh, so you go off and you do your NETP, then do you return to, to school or then are you teaching? Uh, then I returned to school. I joined when I was in my third year. So my third year, I did basic training. And then my fourth year, uh, that summer, I did my NETP. And then I came back for a fifth year. Uh, and then after that, I was able to start sailing in the summers. Okay, well, tell us about that. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. Um, so I got in my my QL3 course, which is the first course for my trade. Um, I got to learn the, the job I had joined to do. And I was so excited when that was over. And I finally got to go on a boat because I thought all of these years, all of this training in the making, I get to actually try it out. Um, and I loved it. Like the community is there. I sail on the MCDD. So it's a smaller platform. There's uh, at most 50 people. <laughs> Right. So it's 50 of your best friends. Uh, you all work together. And again, because the crew is uh, smaller, there are a lot of evolutions that are traditionally meant for only one trade, but everyone gets to help out. So there's more cross training there, which I thought was really rewarding. I got a taste of the travel. Um, I also got a taste of other navies because I got to go to Fleet Week in San Diego would have been my first because my first sail was on the West Coast. So uh, for Fleet Week, uh, 
uh, the U.S. invites all of the navies from around the world, and everybody shows up. And uh, of course, everyone likes to show off. So we all have tours of our ships. Uh, we all have sports competitions and things like that. Uh, it was the first time I ever got to use TRX bands, which were also uh, invented by a sailor so that you could work out even if you don't have space, even if you don't have equipment, even if your ship is rolling in the waves. Uh, so we had an organized competition on the green there, and uh, it was it was really great. It, it kept me coming for more. <laughs> so you, uh, so you gone through all this training, right? Uh, had you ever been on a ship before up to that point in your life? I had not. I had not. I believe there was a brief tour uh, once on my NETP course. And then also uh, the, the trainers for fire and flood, they're built so that the inside looks like a ship. So you have the hatches and you know how to, to plug the the holes and things like that but that was my first time on an actual sailing ship and it was exhilarating yeah so yeah so they let the lines go how did that feel so you're on your way you're in a squimal they let the lines go you're heading off to california somewhere how does that feel that's got to be exciting so exciting so exciting and there were uh because of the time of summer that it was there were so many of us that were brand new and it was our first time so there was the excitement among us and it really ignited the excitement um of all the veterans who had been there for so many years remembering their first sale remembering how exciting it was getting back into the training getting to share that with us too so it it really pumped new life into into the ship yeah, for sure. So a naval communicator, now that's an occupation that has mm -hmm. really evolved over the years. Started off with flags and semaphore and and what kind of things are you guys involved in now? Um, it's a mishmash of everything and they are currently working on that. We are focusing more on IT now because uh, the ships all have their own servers, including uh, the MCDBs, the smaller platform that I'm a part of. So we have to be able to uh, take care of those, work with those. Um, there's a lot more there are a lot more issues that can come up when your tech becomes more complicated. So before we had a lot of really simple tech that we had gotten from the Second World War, and there were so few moving parts, and they were so sturdily made that they just didn't break. And when they did, it was so simple to figure it out. But now we've got, uh, you know, laptops and software and and boards and network upon network, and it's uh, there's there's quite a bit more. So we are ramping up our training so that we can address all of those needs. Uh, we also still do ceremonial and flags and things like that, which we're, we're looking at perhaps moving. Um, the Morse code, the communicating, we still uh, communicate by voice, by teletype, uh, manage all the networks. It's, it's again, a lot, of, a lot of different things from a lot of different areas that we get to pull together. Are you still doing flashing light at sea? For exercise. <laughs> For exercise. There yeah. are only a few nations that uh, that keep up their skills. So every once in a while, if we're sailing in consort with one of them, we'll ask, like, "Hey, let's let's do some flashing light," uh, right. and it's really exciting. But if you've forgotten and you and you ask the wrong nation, they're like, "Why? <laughs> why are we doing that?" It's amazing. It's amazing though listening to you, Stephanie. You know, communication is so important, and if you don't have communication, business. No matter where you are, it all breaks down. So it's such an important part of what you're, what, it, what's happening. Yeah. yeah. It really is, especially keeping in mind that uh, the ship, we do have our own captain, we do have our own CEO. Um, but in a very real way, they're not calling the ultimate shots. We still have to be able to communicate with the shore. And they're the ones who are going to be telling us, okay, this is your overall mission. These are the things you have to accomplish. This is why, oh, this came up. Let's let's uh, consult with JAG and make sure that everything is, is legal. So we have to be able to talk to the shore in order to get our job done. Yeah. Now, how about semaphore? Is that a skill that's uh, gone as well or, or leaving? <laughs> It is gone. Um, they stopped teaching it in the QL3, I believe the year that I took my QL3. Okay. Um, but we still have all of the references and we still have all of the materials. And because it is such a structured system, if we had to learn it, it's very easy to look at the diagrams and figure it out. Right. Um, and that's now the same with Morse code as well. So as of this year, I believe they started in the winter, they've just taken it out of QL3 and it's now a separate course. So if you would like the qualification, if you would like 
like to learn Morse code, uh, then there is a separate course that you can take. And um, the people who already have it like me will always be very excited <laughs> to trade codes and, and talk in Morse code with other people. Yeah, it was, I remember being a young officer back in the 80s, and we would do a replenishment at sea where the two ships come alongside to fuel. And you would have these senior petty officers, signalmen, signal people, person, uh, naval communicators now that would be communicating with one another as the ships were next to each other. And their hands were flying. And we, as, as young guys, were just like, oh, my God, how are they able to speak? Do you remember that, Jerry? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was mesmerizing to watch them and they were just their hands were flying the flags were going it was a really impressive thing but as you say right i mean the navy has evolved and really now it's a management of an entire communication platform and and it's vital because without it you just can't function it's true um so we we have networks that are required for operational reasons we also have networks that are required for morale reasons so uh, obviously especially on a very long sail if you're deployed for six to nine months you need a way to reach back and and talk to your family i how, how everyone's doing, if anything's come up, um, what needs to happen, you need to uh, take care of your banking and things like that. So those networks are also included in uh, the NAVCOM care. That's absolutely fascinating, right? How far the Navy has come now and the reliance on all that. So when that stuff goes down, uh, you must be on the hook. People must be asking questions. <laughs> it is. Uh, but again, because our training has gotten uh, so fantastic and we've moved so far on the scale, uh, sometimes the reasons for things that don't work, um, they, they don't make sense to other non-NAVCOMs. So we have all sorts of jokes. You were talking earlier about uh, reading the tea leaves. Sometimes uh, NAVCOMs will joke about throwing the chicken bones and trying to figure out what the problem in the network is, or maybe it's space weather, which is actually real. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and every once in a while, you'll be reporting that and someone, uh, one of the officers will say, well, can you send someone up to fix that? <laughs> what about what about gremlins in the machines? Are you talking about that? Yes, <laughs> we, we still we still joke about gremlins and unicorns in the machines. So you uh, has all your sailing been on the West Coast or have you done East Coast sailing as well? And which do you I've prefer? been lucky enough to be able to do both. Right. Which do you prefer uh, or? Uh, so I want to say that um, a lot of the ports on the East Coast are pretty fantastic. When you do an Op Carib, you've got it all there. Uh, you've also got Africa, you've got Europe on that side. On the other side, on the West Coast, um, I am a sailor that gets seasick. <laughs> so I like I, I really, really do. Uh, so on the West Coast, I do appreciate that there are a lot of uh, coves and inlets and um, the Pacific is not quite as punishing as the Atlantic is. Uh, and on that side, there's Asia and Hawaii and there's California, which I've mentioned that I love in Mexico. So uh, ports on both are, are great, but different. Um, but the sea state on the West is, is definitely kinder to me. Okay. So how do you get through that seasickness? Time and medication. Right. Uh, so I'm I'm one of those that has to get uh, there's there's a patch that you can buy at Shoppers Drug Mart. Some people uh, buy it before their cruises. Uh, it lasts for about three days. So uh, I'm on the patch and I start about a week before I know we're leaving. Uh, I'm also on grab ball for the first two days. I'm pretty rough. <laughs> So yeah. I make sure that uh, I have prepped absolutely everything and everything can run seamlessly with very little oversight uh, because I won't be able to provide a whole lot, unfortunately. After those first two days, it gets better. And then uh, as I go for about a week, um, I'm you know, pretty, pretty much back up to full function. Um, it doesn't totally reset every time we hit a port, but it's, uh, it, it definitely throws a, a kink in the system. <laughs> Stephanie, kudos, kudos to you, though, for, uh, you know, being willing to admit that. I know that, you know, when I was in that was 30 years ago, it was a badge of honor to not get seasick and it probably still has that. I found it really challenging yeah. when I used to stick my head into a chart table and then you start to smell some of the diesel. That's when I would get a little bit off, you know. <laughs> How about you, yeah. Al? Uh, I've been seasick a couple of times um, and it's not fun. And yeah. I often wonder how people who are chronic seasick 
do it. Uh, it would be, to be honest with you, most people would just say, okay, this is not for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, but I'm, I, I'm fascinated at people that put their head down and say, okay, I'm going to get through this because this is something I want to do. The, the serving in this format is more important than me getting seasick. I mean, that, that's fascinating because a few times that I was seasick, I honest to God, I wanted to die. Like I just, yep. you know, is yep. it that, is it that way for you? Uh, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Those first two days when I am feeling rough, I've, I've got my head down in those clear garbage bags, and I am wondering why <laughs> did I sign on to the sale. <laughs> but the days pass, and I always remember uh, just how great it is to do the job I trained to do. How great uh, it is to have all of the departments come together um, and work and bring the ship to life and accomplish a mission. Uh, not to mention the the ports traveling the world is fantastic. Yeah. Um, definitely a, a perk there, and uh, all the evolutions we do are, are just great. So uh, I. I face it with realism. So I know every time I'm about to go for a sale, um, I need lots of meds. I know I'm going to hate the first few days, uh, but I know that in the end, it always, always is worth it. Wow. Stephanie, what are some of your favorite ports that you've been to? Oh, they're my favorites all for different reasons. Um, I really loved Bermuda. Um, I really loved... San Francisco, San Diego. Um, I really, really loved, uh, oh, I was very lucky. I got to go to France with the Navy as well. Um, I got to go to Normandy. I got to see Juno Beach, which was just a highlight of my career, wow. being wow. able to go. And uh, I got to go for the 70th anniversary of D-Day. So the veterans were there, wow. which was so amazing. We got to talk to the veterans. They shared their stories. Such amazingly humble people. And uh, they really did change the world. So we're thanking them for their service. We're telling them, you know, you changed our world because of what you did. We can live in the country that we do. Uh, and, and they're so modest. They're, they said, well, we just did the training and we did what we were told. We did exactly what you did. We were just in the right place at the right time. Um, and it was also really interesting to see the architecture because they have older buildings, older walls, older uh, monuments. You can see all the bullet holes. So in a very real way, all of the battles are still there, still alive. The fields filled with poppies are still there. Those mountains are still there. The monuments are there. So it's it's history is tangible in a way there that we don't have here for things for, like World War II. So that was absolutely amazing um i did bring sand back from juno beach <laughs> so, i distributed to some of my family and friends so stephanie you're a teacher now as well i am yes city side so tell me how does your naval career find its way into the classroom um a couple of different ways. I would say uh, most students are extremely excited to learn about coding. So uh, NAVCOMS, we use a lot of coding. Some of it's classified, some of it's not. Um, and I give them some examples of the non-classified stuff and they get very excited and it really helps with uh, problem solving in say math classes. And we've just added uh, in the new Ontario curriculum, we've got a section for coding, which is fun. Okay. Um, we're getting more into IT and technical aspects as well. Uh, in the classrooms, we've got uh, laptops and software and hardware and smart boards and all kinds of things. So of course, as we're all using these things, uh, issues come up and, and students need to solve them. So I get to uh, help them and give them some strategies with that, which is really nice. Um, they love pictures, they love hearing about the, the travel and the missions and what Canada is doing in the world. It really helps with uh, geography and local events and things like that. Um, really all over. <laughs> so what, uh, what ages are you teaching now? Um, so most of the time I supply. So I supply from kindergarten to grade 12. I also do some adult ed and I do special education. Um, I do most subjects. Uh, and the reason I do that is so that at the drop of the hat, I can leave and do something with the Navy. Right, um, right. But every once in a while, I'll have a, a chunk of time where I can take somebody's mat leave or stress leave or something like that. And I'll have a class for most of the year. 
Wow. Oh, the students must really benefit from like your experiences and stuff. I can just imagine the students. I, I remember when I was going through naval training and mm -hmm. these people that had done so much were in front of the classroom and all we wanted to hear were the stories. We just wanted yeah. to hear the adventure. I'm sure the students are no different. They really do. And then they all get really excited and then they start uh, unprompted from me. Uh, they, they start push-up competitions, which is really cool. So then we get fitness into the classroom as well. Um, of course, we have a DPA in Ontario. It's daily physical activity. So for 15 minutes a day, uh, we, we get our bodies moving and we, we find something fun that we like. Sometimes it's dancing. Sometimes it's karate. Sometimes it's push-up competitions because they, they really want to get their name up on the board. Right. Uh, so it's, it's always a lot of fun. Stephanie, so you've been now in the Navy for 10 years, right? Or 11, 10 or 11 years? 11 now, yeah. Wow, 11 years. Have, and you've been teaching alongside that. Have you inspired anybody to join the Navy in your time that you're aware of? Uh, not that I am currently aware of. Um, lots of people are very excited about it. Um, I haven't met any students I've had who have joined yet. Um, but a lot of them are still in elementary school. So we'll see. We'll <laughs> that see would be so happens. exciting. We'll see what happens then. So it's interesting, uh, Al. I can imagine just sitting in your classroom, Stephanie, and being totally engaged in the stories. That's really, you know, what we're doing with this podcast. Stories are really important. My wife's yeah. a teacher mm -hmm. and uh, just listening to you talk, I would have loved to have been in your class, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's so wonderful. I, I really hope so, because when you're excited about learning and you're excited about where yeah. you are and what you're doing, you ask the questions, you, you get a broader understanding and you're motivated for more. Stephanie, is there anybody else in your family that was in the military or? No, I am the first. I am right. the first. I have some extended family on my father's side. Uh, very extended um, from World War II and a few of them were naval communicators. So they're extended in the way that they have the same last name, but it's difficult to trace the ties. Right. Uh, I still think it's, it's really neat, not only that they were in, but they also had my same trade, uh, which was really cool. But uh, yeah, my, my family has been learning a lot alongside with me, you know, all, all the acronyms, what everything means, how, how things are going, the travel, the organization. And did you grow up right in Hamilton? I did, yes. Born and raised. It is my favorite city. <laughs> so I, I can look at it and I can see logistically, is it the best? Does it have all the amenities? Um, you know, sometimes no, but it, it will always be number one in my heart. No matter where I travel, I will always want to come home to Hamilton. Yeah, that's cool. So now this summer, where do you go uh, for the Navy? Uh, so I just came back from Halifax. I was doing my, my sixes, getting some trade training. Um, I'm back in Hamilton for about a week. And then I'm about to leave again to go to uh, Valcartier in Quebec, where I'll be teaching basic training. Wow. So is this the first time you've taught basic training? No, I got to teach uh, two years ago. And last year was a little bit different because of COVID. So they had extremely limited staff, uh, extremely limited students. Um, I stayed in Hamilton and I was teaching um, the NRD training initiative uh, and I was on off laser as well. So uh, this year I'm very excited to go back. So tell me about what that's going to be like for you to teach basic training in Valcarche. Um, It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's really, it's really great to be able to brush up on skills that we don't always get to use because there's a lot of, uh, of army components in basic training. So uh, in the field, we're living in hooches, you build your own tent sort of thing, and there's the MREs you eat, and um, we practice, practice, practice the, the weapons handling test, and of course, drill is very important, um, and it's it's a really great environment to see people coming into the Navy for the first time, uh, hear what they're excited about, watching them learn, watching them grow, um, seeing them learn to take care of each other. And it's, yeah. it's really wonderful because I'm so passionate about teaching. I especially enjoy basic training because I get to teach so much. Do you remember basic training here being that much fun? Uh, you know, I, I, not necessarily the training, but I tell you, just listening to Stephanie, 
talk, it's brought back a flood of memories. I remember flying into uh, British Columbia for the first time, 17 years of age. I mean, who gets that opportunity to just visit? <laughs> you're, you're, you know, and you're listening to you leaving Esquimalt and going down to San Diego. I mean, Esquimalt for me was just fascinating and seeing all the ships and, and then you leave there and it just builds on itself, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, it, it gets better and better every year. <laughs> Stephanie, I, I, I think being an instructor in basic training is harder than being a recruit in basic training. I mean, you're up before the recruit, you're in bed after them. You've got to prepare. You're constantly concerned about their well-being, the ones that are struggling, you want to help them, right? The ones that are excelling, you want to make sure that they're they're helping the others along the way. I mean, there's a lot on your plate when you're the instructor in basic training. There And there is so, so much admin. <laughs> There is so much admin, Uh, but yes, we are especially careful to take care of everybody and not just in terms of lessons, um, but it's also in terms of PT. So absolutely, we are going to firmly motivate everyone, Um, but that looks different for different people. So if someone can only do three push-ups, you're going to do three push-ups and we're going to try for the fourth. If you can do 50 push-ups, I'm going to give you something else that is going to make you excited and, and it's going to challenge you. Uh, but we also have to be very careful because um, it's in a valley in Quebec. It is extremely humid. It is very hot, especially for people who are coming, um, save for the first time from the coasts. They've never experienced humidity like that. It doesn't get hot like that there. So in addition to acclimatizing to the the weather, we're also asking them to live outside, to work out, to work at a very high pace. Um, They're not sleeping as much as they would at home. So everybody definitely has to keep an eye on each other. Um, They're also stressed out. So we're making sure everybody's eating, everybody's safe. Uh, We we really take care of everybody's emotional, mental and physical well-being. Yeah. And it must like you remember the people that taught you basic training 11 years ago. Yeah, I do. I remember all of them. (laughs) And I was Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you continue. Oh, I was very, very lucky that uh, one of my instructors from basic training was actually my instructor on my sixes course that I just came back from. So that was really cool to come full circle. Um, we're, we, we both taught basic training now. We're both uh, the same trade. Uh, so to come and see one of my mentors' experiences in a totally different way, now that I can appreciate more of it, was really, really rewarding. <laughs> And I mean, it must be kind of neat to think that you're going to teach basic training again this summer. I've done it already, but again this summer and know that you're going to have the exact same impact on people there. They're going to remember you forever. Hopefully in good ways. I'm, I'm a little bit less smiley and bubbly when I'm teaching recruits because we need, um, you, you really do need uh, motivation and you really need the challenge and you need it at times when you think that you can't go any further. So while we are making sure that everyone is safe, uh, we are pushing everyone to those steps that they didn't think they could get to. Right. Stephanie, um, I just, I, I've mentioned this before, Alan, on our various interviews, but I have two young nieces, teenage nieces in Halifax. Mm-hmm. And when I meet a young lady like yourself, I take the opportunity to ask, you know, what advice would you give to those two young ladies growing up in Halifax about life and I guess, you know, uh, being successful? Um, I think it would be, I'm, I'm gonna go back to uh, the time when I realized that I really could do it all. I really could have it all. You can you can achieve the dreams, all the different things you wanted to do. Uh, you can find different ways to do it. There is no such thing as a pipe dream. Uh, so I was I was born to teach and I get to do that. I always wanted to serve my country. I get to do that too. Uh, I've always been very interested in firefighting. Uh, I chose the Navy and I get to do that as well. So you, you really can do absolutely anything. Look into your options. If you're not sure, ask, ask people, um, watch these wonderful podcasts, see what's out there. Yeah. So, Stephanie, you are the Naval Reserve Fleet Master Seaman. What exactly is that? Uh, so it's brand new. Uh, the Reg Force, they have two of them, one for each coast. NavRes, uh, I'm our first one. So uh, we're sort of 
figuring out um, what are the most important things to include. So far, it has included um, being a liaison for the the C1s in the fleet, so the, the highest NCMs. So they're planning policies and they're making things better and they need to know what are the problems on the ground. Uh, and I'm lucky again because I got to sail both coasts and I've been in for some time and I train new people and I've been talking to my mentors as well. So I've got this great network of people uh, who can tell me what's life like where they are? What's it like on the ships? What's it like in Saskatchewan? What's it like on the course? And I can push that out. These are our problems. Uh, we tried to resolve it this way. There's still this gap. Um, and then that can be addressed or they can ask, okay, so we've just pushed forth this initiative. How was this training received? What are people saying about it? Uh, what are the pros? What are the cons? Uh, which is really great because um, all of the problems that a lot of sailors have had trouble with over the years, um, in some cases, it's because the Navy thought that they were addressed already, but they need a little bit of tweaking. So we get to do that. And this is a really exciting time in the Navy. Where we're moving forward with several initiatives. Trades are changing. Um, it's, it's a really great place to be, um, I'll say. Well, that's a that's an incredible honor, like to be the person that represents the master seaman and below to the institution itself to say, hey, pay attention. These are the like I, I don't want to we've had Chief Steve's on and we've had other C1s mm -hmm. on. And, and normally, quite frankly, the chiefs are quite in touch with what's going on. I would argue more mm -hmm. so than maybe some of the senior officers. The chiefs seem to have their finger on the pulse, but even they occasionally we'll lose sight of what it's really like, right? And that's your job. That's an incredible honor to be given that responsibility. It, it really is. And I make sure that I work very hard because I know who it is I'm representing. And it's absolutely everyone. It's not just my network. So I make sure that I'm always in contact with people. I'm always extending my network. I make sure my, my networks have networks. Um, very NAVCOM thing to say, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I always give out uh, my phone number, my email address, uh, because I do want people to talk to me. If there, if there are questions, if there are problems, we want them addressed. And Stephanie, do you feel heard? Do you feel that they're listening to you when you take the concerns up? I, I really do. I'm, I'm very lucky that uh, the network that I have up there is fantastic. So I speak directly with uh, the fleet chief and um, always fantastic to work with. The, the leadership very much does care uh, about the experiences of the sailors. And sometimes at the bottom, when we're wondering why things haven't changed, uh, sometimes it's because the policy that's been put in place, it's taking a little bit too long or there's a gap or there's something. So it's, it's really wonderful be to be able to push that up and uh, have people immediately address it and say, that is not what we intended. We want to make sure that everybody's happy, everyone's safe, uh, and this is working properly. It's exciting. That's a great, uh, Stephanie. What was sorry, Alan, for cutting you off. What was it like? I mean, I guess you're doing these by Zoom now. I can only imagine <laughs> me at your age sitting in with the chiefs. And we, Alan and I joked about this before when we talked to Chief Steves. You know, we're kind of cowering because it's just a natural thing when you're a young person and you're up against all this experience. It's really great mm -hmm. to hear that uh, that this kind of communication channel is happening. But I guess you were intimidated a little bit at the beginning, or maybe not. Tell us about it. <laughs> um, I definitely was at the beginning because, in a very real way, these are the people that run the Navy. They yeah. run the Navy. Uh, so I was very nervous, um, but as it always happens in the Navy, uh, it's, it's people who have been in for a very long time. It's people who are very passionate about it. Um, they all know each other very well because they've been in for so many years. And by the time you get up to that level, there's not too many people left. So you've worked with them quite a bit. Um, and because they're all friends, they're all on a first name basis. And, uh, at first I was concerned, oh, I'm going to be the only master sailor in the room. Uh, but they have always extended that courtesy to me. They're like, this is, uh, this is a meeting. We all know each other. This is, uh, these are everyone's names. We're talking about this. These are the policies. Um, tell us what you think. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they really do make space. They, they very much care about uh, the experience of the sailors on the bottom. Yeah. That's fantastic. And again, I, I can't begin to just, uh, that's quite a privilege for sure to be able to do that and for the sailors. And, 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 it, and for me, that it, it really connects with me as, as we spoke before 
we started the conversation. My son is about uh, to go away on his uh, QL3, I guess it is, NAV, NAVCOM. Yes. Yeah, so he's about to go mm-hmm. away on that. So it, it's it's good to meet the person that's going to represent all of the sailors, him included, and, and that's fantastic. Tell me now, uh, Stephanie, it's got to be complicated to juggle this, you know, your professional career as a civilian and your profession, professional career as a, a naval communicator. How complicated is that? Or is it just for you? It seamlessly all blends together. Um, I, I think it has definitely taken some practice um, to find work-life balance because I, I work full-time hours as a teacher. And then on top of that, there's uh, there's work at my NRG or um, I leave a lot. So um, again, networking at home has been very important. Uh, my friends and family, I've, I've got a house here in Hamilton. They they help take care of my property while I'm gone, cutting the lawn and things like that, uh, making sure everyone's okay. Um, but yeah, just uh, just practice. And I found that it's it's really the perfect blend for me because whenever I'm here, I am very happy to be teaching. It's, it is my passion. It, it brings me life. Uh, so happy to do it. But in the back of my mind, I'm always excited about my next adventure with the Navy. And same when I'm with the Navy, uh, so excited to be there. Um, love running into a lot of the same people year after year, uh, traveling, going to places, learning new things, training um, in areas totally outside of my chosen profession, uh, which I'm very lucky to do. But in the back of my mind, I'm also excited to to come home and, you know, enjoy my home, my friends, my family and, and teach again. So wherever I am, I'm very happy to be there. But I'm also very excited to be able to switch gears and go to something else that I love. So it's it's always exciting, always new. Now what a perfect balance day eh, to be able to have both sides of those things, uh, you know, working together and, and providing so much satisfaction. It's pretty impressive. Oh, thank you. It is. Makes I, me you very know, happy. Well, just thinking about what you just said, uh, blending passions. Frankly, you, you know, I've worked with people that have never been able to do that. And, you know, they get a little bit, down the fact that you're so young and you're figured out a way of mixing things together that is really refreshing stephanie you just keep doing what you're doing this is just brilliant keep keep doing it a lot of people struggle to find a passion you found two and were able to kind of merge them together right and it's really it really is spectacular. But I mean, the Naval Reserve, in by and large, it's a great organization to offer that to people. You can continue your civilian career, but yet you can serve your country and you can get that adventure that you talk about because there is a lot of adventure, yeah? Mm-hmm, there really is. Yeah. Now, um, have you done any trips down to Africa or places like that on the MCDVs? Uh, no, I haven't been lucky enough to, but I have lots of friends who have, and I would love to do that. So I'm, I'm slotting. There's a spot in my future where I'm, I'm going to be able to do, uh, definitely I want to do an Africa sale. I'd love to do an Asia tour. Um, so there's, there's still room. There's always more adventures. Stephanie, I remember 30 years ago, it was really complicated for reservists to get contracts and everybody was hustling in the summer to try to get on a few ships. Is it like that now or is it pretty much, uh, you know, the world is open to you? Um, it's it's a little of both. Um, so it's uh, it's a blessing in disguise to reservists like me that we are so low manned in uh, in the military at large and also in the navy so uh, anyone watching this if you were thinking about joining the navy please do <laughs> we need <Yeah>. you <laughs> we will absolutely benefit from everything you bring to us and uh we will we'll bring you adventures in return um but because we have so many open spots when you say i'm available i have the following qualifications or i would like the following training um it's, it's pretty easy to get out there, uh, but they also make sure to take from their own people first. So especially in COVID times when you have to account for things like quarantine um, and testing and whether or not that goes well, um, of course, if there's an empty spot on a ship, they're going to look for somebody who's already on that coast that they know is good to go rather than fly somebody and, and hope and cross their fingers that they'll be all right. Um, right. 
And then right now it's also a little bit harder because we have a double cohort because of last year there was there, there weren't any courses running. So we have two years uh, worth of recruits who are trying to get through basic training, their first QL3, NETP, things like that. Uh, so we have expanded the courses. We've called on more instructors. Uh, so we're, we're really trying to get everyone to where they can come and join the fleet and do the job that they wanted to, to do. Exciting time. Uh, Stephanie, uh, I know that you've given some advice to Jerry's nieces here. Uh, on the call, but we always ask our guest uh, to leave the audience with one small takeaway. You know, you've uh, 11 years now, you've been in the Naval Reserve, serving your country with distinction, I might add, and um, you're teaching alongside that. I mean, you are living life to its fullest. There's no doubt about it, and you're clearly excited about it. What would be that piece of advice that you would give to the audience? Um, I'm, I'm going to say that it's, it's the same advice that I gave to, uh, to Jerry's nieces. Keep, keep looking for opportunities because there, there are so many. And a lot of people think that, uh, when you're in the Navy, your opportunities are sailing and they are, and they are fantastic, but there's so many more. Uh, so we've got the Naval security team where we will fly and we will provide security and maintenance, uh, to a ship when they're on a six to nine month sail to give the, the sailors a reprieve. Um, I've done off distinction a few times, uh, once in France, a couple of times in Hamilton. Um, I got to do it in Ottawa. Um, I got to be, uh, a part of some of the training for uh, the basic training in Fiji, where they had the first women in their country enter the Navy in basic training. Uh, so there are lots of frontiers. There's lots of things to do. Um, there's you, you can do even more than you imagined. Keep looking for opportunities. Right. Well, that's not far off what Matt Corbett told us as well. Matt was yeah. really all about, hey, look, when an opportunity knocks, open the door and, and just give it a try. That's great advice. Jerry, what are your final thoughts on today's podcast? Well, it's funny, you know, um, Alan and I, Stephanie, are at quite a different stage in our careers. It's a good place, uh, but I can tell you, talking to someone like yourself reminds me of how much I learned in the Naval Reserve. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, you've stimulated in me is the memory of the people the education. So as a young 17 year old living in St. John's, Newfoundland, is it's far east as you can go in the country. I had the benefit of getting to know so many people. And just listening to you today, articulate the various uh, things going on in the Navy is, is wonderful. It just reminds me of how beautiful a country we have. And it's just uh, a beautiful thing. I think you have incredible leadership qualities about you. So just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, in the end, you know, when it comes time for your career in the Navy to, to end, I believe wholeheartedly, there'll be quite a, a another career for you, uh, be it in the private sector or wherever. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. And, and like you said, Canada is such an amazing country. It was so many opportunities. Um, and right now is such an exciting time to be in the military when we're, we're working and striving more towards equity and equality. Yeah, 100%. Well, uh, folks, just another great addition of Gale Force Winds. What an absolute privilege, pleasure it was to uh, have a conversation with Master Sailor Stephanie McAndrew the Fleet Master Sailor for the Naval Reserve. That makes her uh, the conduit between the junior sailors and the institution at large. And what an honor that is. What an honor it's been for us to be in this conversation with Stephanie. When you talk about merging passions, uh, I, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like it. You've got a, a, a person who's intrigued by educating the next generation of Canadians in her civilian life and equally intrigued about educating and leading the sailors in our uh, Canadian Navy. It's just a, a wonderful thing to watch. I, I, Stephanie, I can't begin to thank you enough for your service, uh, for the leadership that you're providing to not only uh, kids in, in classes in, uh, in around Ontario, but also to our sailors, one of which is actually my son, who I'm sure will cross paths with you as a Naval communicator. Uh, keep up the great work. And uh, I can tell you this, your country is 
very proud of what you're doing for us. And we appreciate we appreciate your time that you've spent on Gale Force Winds today. And I always leave the audience with one small piece of advice myself. And that is, the world needs more Master Sailor Stephanie McAndrew. Thank you. At HMCS Haida, uh, at the window of HMCS Star in Hamilton, uh, she is the flagship for the Royal Canadian Navy. Uh, she's currently owned by Parks and Rec, and we have tours all the time. So we've got free tours during uh, Doors Open Hamilton. We have uh, tours throughout the year when we aren't under COVID restrictions, and it's really, really interesting to see as much as things change how much they've stayed the same. Uh, the messes are similar. You can see the similarities in the CCR in the ways that people lived and worked. Uh, it's, it's really, really great. And uh, the ship herself, she has extraordinary history. She has sunk U-boats in her day. Uh, wow. We've got stories from our veterans. We've got a crew. We've got uh, all kinds of really nice events that we like to do with her as well. So we're very lucky to have her here alongside with us on Lake Ontario. So oh, she's actually, sorry, Alan, she's actually in the water, is she? Because right, right now you can't actually see that from the perspective. Yes, she is actually in the water. She, she floats. She is seaworthy. <laughs> it must be amazing, uh, Stephanie, to have such a piece of Canadian history right in front of you every single day. It is. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't until I joined that I realized that we had the Haida here because, of course, when you live in a city, you're, you're so used to the parts that you go to all the time that you are rarely a tourist in your own city. You don't see all the things that, that make it so amazing. Uh, so as soon as I joined, I saw it here and I started hearing the stories. I got on for a tour and it's it's so great to have the kind of tangible history that, as I mentioned before, you usually only get in places like Europe. Yeah. And Stephanie, does the crew of STAR, do you guys have any functions or events on board Haida throughout the year? We do. We definitely host uh, Remembrance Day there. Um, we will have memorial services and things like that. Um, every once in a while when the fleet would like uh, an extra special video or participation, and we have uh, videos of people from around the country, you know, raising a flag or ringing the bell, we make sure that the height is always included. So we've got people on board there. Uh, and Parks and Rec is absolutely fantastic with helping us uh, include everything about her as much as we can. Wow. And does Haida have a crew or are those uh, Parks Canada folks? Uh, there are Parks Canada folks that uh, they, they work here and they'll lead the tours and they're extremely knowledgeable. Um, they lead the tours for the cadets as well. We're really lucky that we have a, a building across the way that's filled with sea cadets. Uh, and they're always very interested in the history. They get to hear all the stories. So for them to step foot on an actual warship that is seen conflict is really amazing. Now, Stephanie, I guess a final question as it regard, relates to Haida, you don't get seasick when you step on board that, do you? <laughs> no, no, I do not get seasick when I'm still in the harbor. I'm not quite that uh, bad. Stephanie, that's just Alan giving you her time now. Give it up, Alan. <laughs> that's great, Stephanie. Thanks very much for that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, good. Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W-I-N-S dot com.